0: to get 50% off. That's code SELLINGWITHLOVE50 at factormeals.com slash SELLINGWITHLOVE50, and you'll get 50% off. Not bad.
1: Your visible action will inspire and bring comfort to other people, and that's how the momentum grows. You might not see it directly, but every person that sees you walking down the street with a non-disposable coffee cup They're going to see that and it's actually going to trigger something, some normalcy. And that is how that 3.5% figure grows into 100%.
0: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans at Work by Mind Valley. I'm your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And before we get started, tell me, if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Would it be your body, your career, your relationships? Thankfully, you don't have to choose. As a Mind Valley member, you'll get instant access to the wisdom of world-class personal growth teachers and programs that can evolve you in every way for just $2 a day. Are you ready to make a change? start transforming your life today at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman hi everybody this is jason mark campbell welcome back to superhumans at work and today we have sarah wilson who is an author journalist and entrepreneur who's going to come here and speak about something that's been a lot on our minds now We might be stepping a little away from typical work practices that we discuss on this podcast, but we need to address what is, I would refer to here, the elephant in the room, where we're seeing a lot of complexities around the world, such as climate change. We've all been impacted by the coronavirus. There's racial inequalities that we see as well. There's also political unrest, all these different things that seem to be happening on a world scale that affect us in our personal life is there anything we need to do about this? Is this normal? Is it affecting our work and our personal mental health? And this is really what we're going to want to discuss and leave you with an element of hope. In Sarah's latest book, this One Wild Precious Life is really going to go and walk us through what is happening, what is the message behind all of these events, and what is it that we can do about it? Now, this is in Sarah's first book. This would be her third big book, being that first we make the peace beautiful was a story about anxiety. We're going to touch on this as well. And she's actually worked through a movement called I Quit Sugar, which we might touch a bit on that as well. But know that she has been ranked most influential health expert in 2015 and top 200 most influential authors in 2017 and 18. And she's been selling her books in over 131 countries, has been New York Times bestseller, has won awards for all of her work. She has done so much as well as a journalist, which is the foundation of a lot of the research that she brings forward. And so it's so exciting to have Sarah Wilson here on the call. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Jason. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Now, I started off with maybe outlining some of the major issues, or at least some of the things that might be on our minds these days, given that so much has changed, especially with the start of 2020, where it seems like we were kind of pushing under the rug, a lot of major issues and, you know, consuming living world, not a care. And it seems like a lot of it has caught up with us in 2020. So I'd be curious to know what brought you into bringing this book to life. And was it in the light of everything that's happening now?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. You mentioned my book, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, about my own personal journey with anxiety. And I then toured the world back when we could do such things and found that the anxiety had moved somewhat from a personal thing into almost an outward collective anxiety. The entire planet was anxious and for very good reason. And so I had been traveling around the world and I can see people tuning in from all different parts of the world. I actually strapped on a backpack. I traveled with, I think, 35 pounds. I think that's the right equivalent for eight years. And I went to investigate why we were collectively anxious. And in fact, it was the last three years that I wrote this latest book. And what I needed to do was get to the bottom of this collective anxiety, why we've arrived at where we're at, and then try to find a hopeful path through it so that we could then actually fight to save what we love so much, which is, in fact, life on this planet. But the funny thing is, Jason, and this is almost the moral of the story, is that the activation, the activist work that I've been doing, in particular the climate movement, but also in terms of racial justice, all of the issues, because they're all interconnected, has actually been the thing that has dialed down my anxiety. So... I speak to you today as somebody who has largely been able to turn my anxiety into action. And really, that's what this book's about, is to break down the overwhelm. Because really, our brains as a collective species have gone into this kind of shutdown. Our amygdala, which controls our flight or fight mechanism, has hijacked the rest of our brain. So our neocortex, which is able to, to make rational decisions and fix problems in a discerning manner, has been hijacked, which is what happens when we are in chronic stress. And so what that does is it sends us into that space that you sort of describe that sort of sleepy, oblivious, "I can't cope, I can't even, scrolling through Netflix, eating bad food, trying to numb ourselves out kind of space. The journey with my writing, it progresses it sort of went from gut health and physical health to mental health and now to sort of global human
0: species health. That's incredible. And you speak about this kind of collective anxiety and I know when you speak on a personal anxiety level there's obviously lifestyle changes that you can do there's probably a lot of procedures that you prescribe in first we make the beast beautiful to be able to handle with personal anxiety there's a sense of this global big issues it's so big it seems like I can't do anything about it and so the default that you spoke about, which seems like a very tempting option is like, there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to zone out. So I just can get a good night sleep. So I cannot deal with the things that are looming over my shoulders, like a heavy shadow that there's nothing I can do about. So it seems like there's a proclivity for people to just go and zone out just because yeah. it feels like there's nothing you can do about it. Is that something you've noticed as some of the big differences between this kind of collective anxiety versus the power that you seem to have when it's an individual anxiety?
1: Yes, somewhat. Because although in some ways not, anyone with anxiety knows that anxiety could be described as this kind of bombardment of thoughts, right? That swirl around. I describe it in First We Make the Beast Beautiful as this big knotted ball of wool with interconnected stuff and all the strands and the fibers of the thread have interconnected and you just can't unravel it. So in many ways, That is emulated at the global level where it's all of these fears and threats coming at us and we can't piece out the threads. So I actually think it's very, very similar. And the best way to describe it, and I describe it in the book, is it's like where the deer who's chased by the tiger and we have the flight or fight mechanism available to us. But, of course, a deer eventually can't outrun the tiger, can't flee, and it can't fight the tiger. And so we have a third mechanism available to us, and that is the freeze mode. And that is essentially where we shut down completely. So a deer, and we've seen animals do this. You see it with mice when they are being chased by cats. They'll play dead. They'll stop their heart rate. They'll stop their breathing. And the predator will go, oh, okay, well, this thing's dead. I'll just take my time. And they might go and get their cubs and bring them back to have a leisurely lunch. In that time, the mouse or the deer has an opportunity to jerk back online and just bolt for its life. We've seen that happen. And it'll be skittish and it runs around. And that is a really wonderful evolutionary mechanism. And what I do is I parallel that. We as humans, we do go into that I can't cope, I've got overwhelmed, I'm going to shut down, I'm going to comfort eat, all the things that we do with personal anxiety. But essentially that will spell our demise. It's like the deer that just stays numb. It will get eaten. The cubs and the tiger will come back. So what we need to do is actually activate ourselves, jerk back into life and fight in that 11th hour moment. And we are in that 11th hour And just to give another sort of metaphor, because it's such a complex issue, I talk in these stories and metaphors throughout the book. I basically go and travel the world in the footsteps of poets and scientists and thinkers, and I hike with them and I talk with them and I follow their footsteps as our predecessors hiked around the world to tell some of these stories that resonate. The other one that really helps, and for American listeners, you'll know this, in any sort of sporting match, sporting history is full of moments where The losing team are down by, say, three points and it's 30 seconds to go before the siren. And I'll probably mishmash Australian terminology and American football terminology here. So excuse me, but crowds are leaving. Everybody's sort of given up. The game's over, right? But something magic happens so often in those moments where the losing team almost throws the rule book out the window, forgets all the coach's tips and goes into what I call kamikaze mode, where it's just right. And they want to win. They want nothing more in that moment than to win. And I'd say way more often than should actually possibly happen. Out of nowhere, the losing team comes through and scores that final goal and manages to win. And the history books are full of those moments. And that's what humans are capable of. So we are in that final 30 seconds. We have the capacity, the fight, the drive. So long as we get online and realize what it is we're fighting for. So the deer fights for its life. We are equally fighting for life on this planet. Mm. And that is the bottom line. And we are at that last final moment. And that's What my book is about is to galvanize almost a kamikaze, full-blooded mode of being amongst us all, because what else is there?
0: The alternative definitely is not appealing. We're talking about something that actually would really cause some real devastation to us as a species. I love that we have one of our members here, Alicia, is referring to calling it a Hail Mary play, where you just throw everything at it. And this is maybe something that I hear and I'm like, okay, I want to do a Hail Mary. This seems like a better state than just feeling like I need to freeze, that I can't do anything. And it's almost like something that can give me back my power. But I almost feel like I don't have a direction on where to run. When you look at these sports, they can at least all look that there's a goals over there. Let's gather all resources and just do one final attempt to run to that line. Versus in this fractured world. Not only is it kind of difficult to know where am I supposed to run, but it even seems like there's two schools of thoughts that tell you to run in different directions. And even that seems to pull at the soul. And so I'd be curious to know through the book, do you give some ideas as to what are the directions we can run if we feel inspired to go for this Hail Mary? 100%.
1: So, this actually segues nicely into the theme of your actual podcast, work practices, and things like that. So, I appoint 60,000 words in with only a month or two before deadline, where I did not have my hopeful path forward that I'd promised in the tagline of the book. I was in that space where I didn't know which way to run, and the overwhelm gripped me. And of course, I wrote this book in the middle of those devastating bushfires, which many of you would have seen because I know it was shown around the world where we lost 20% of our natural world and over 1 billion wildlife, koalas, kangaroos, all of that kind of thing. So I wrote in the middle of that, then COVID hit and I delayed the printing of the book to actually incorporate that. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matters eruption also happened. So I do incorporate that. So I was writing it in this very meta way and the issues were just coming at me. And what I did one day, and this is what I do all the time as a work practice, when I get overwhelmed, I put on my shoes and I grab my credit card and I get on a train and go out into bushland, just go out into wherever I can go, and I just start running and moving in nature. So I just go to nature and I move. On that particular day, I had to throw myself at it. So it was this wild scramble through rocks and everything. And I've always known intuitively that that's what works for me. And then I sort of came back from that four-hour scramble through the bush and I was lying on the platform at the railway station and I just realised that this is actually one of the solutions. This is actually where we get our direction. It's almost like the coach or the team captain. Nature actually reminds us of where we fit. Nature reminds us of how we're meant to behave There's this wonderful phrase that naturalists in the 19th century came up with to describe, you know, when you see a murmuration of swallows just suddenly dart and Mm -hmm. it's like, who was the first swallow to suggest that we turn left right now? Nobody knows. People have studied it for years and there just doesn't seem to be any discernible kind of moment when one bird is the team leader. And the phrase that they came up with to describe it is group soul which I think is absolutely beautiful. And group soul, I believe, is something that we can tap into with nature. And I then went and looked at some of the 40,000 studies that have been done to show why it is that hiking and moving in nature gets us into this wonderful, happy, and measured discerning space. There's literally 40,000 studies on it, but some of them actually... explain what we know to be true at our soul level. And that is that when we actually see the patternings, the fractals in nature, it actually sets off this kind of sense of belonging in our brain. So the retinas in our eyes are made up of fractals. And for those listening who are not quite sure what a fractal is, it's that repeated patterning that happens in nature. So if you think of a daisy, if you think of a fern frond, that repeated patterning, a nautilus shell, And in our eyes, we have exactly the same. And in our bodies, of course, our structure is all based on fractals. And when we see it in nature, we feel this congruence, this sense of belonging. I mean, that's only one small study that shows how all this works. So to answer your question and to also bring it back to how I manage my work, I have to go into nature. I've been a creative who writes for a living and I go down deep into the overwhelm. I basically find the overwhelm and that's where I go. And it was with sugar, a topic that nobody felt that they could get to the bottom of. Then it was anxiety and reframing of bipolar and OCD and a bunch of things through a philosophical and spiritual lens, like a much broader aperture. And then with this climate fragmentation topic, I did the same thing. I go to the space where everybody's overwhelmed and then I try to piece a more beautiful path through it. And nature is how I've done all of those things. I find my answer by simply stepping into nature and moving with it and awe and everything starts to take over and I know my place in the world and it all starts to make sense and I'm activated. I don't want to sleep through the revolution to pick up on a Martin Luther King quote we know something incredible is happening at the moment we know we've got to make or break we're at a fork in the road moment and I don't want to sleep through the revolution and going out into nature reminds me of that and one last probably not one last but another analogy or metaphor that might sort of put in perspective we've seen those stories on YouTube and everything of these mothers that are able to lift a massive car off their toddler when it rolls over them, right? There's incredible strength can be found seemingly out of nowhere. That's, again, something that we are capable of. And we will find incredible Herculean kamikaze strength to fight to save what we love. And so my journey is to get people connected with the thing that we love, to find our nature. And I say this on the back of the book, something along the lines of, we love nature, we love our nature, and we need to reconnect with that and remind ourselves of who we are. And a big part of that is stepping away from the capitalist, individualist society and into the collective way, way more, because the balance is thoroughly out. And quite frankly, we're disappointed in ourselves. I think a lot of humans don't like humanity right now we don't like Mm -hmm. what we see and so we've got to reclaim what we're really about so yes a very very long answer to your question the pathway the secret is to go into nature and it's so simple
0: before we continue, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mindvalley Membership. For all of you personal development junkies like me out there, growing in one area of your life just isn't enough. And that's why we made Mind Valley Membership to bring you the best personal growth programs on the planet so you can evolve every day in every way. Whether you want to get crazy fit, build a business, or manifest more money in your life, there's a quest for that. And now you can access every single one for just $2 a day. So if you're striving to become the best self and live the life you deserve, try out Mindvalley membership at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. You speak about how there's this disappointment. I would even expand it possibly further to expect that a lot of us even have a, a worldview that might be more like nihilism. There's a lot of the sentiment that just throws you to, what's the point? You're kind of feeling stuck. I feel like it's very connected to this freeze mechanism. It's just like, well, why bother? Which, you know, I want to draw a in this. And, you know, for those in marketing terms, we would call this results in advance. Whenever you're doing the sale or the marketing of something, we talk about what is the transformation that leads on the other side to tie it a bit to the work side. But I'd be curious to maybe lay out a vision for people here. So when you speak about how we're at this cusp of a transformation, What is the opportunity that we might not be so aware of that can sit on the other side when we do take a great action to reconnect with nature and to fix these big elephant in the room problems that are sitting in front of us? What does the world look like once we've actually overcome this and chose a better path than all the darkness that we seem to be repeated as a message of where we're going?
1: I love that you've asked me this because this is my favorite question to answer (laughs) because I get so excited about what's ahead. So first of all, in terms of practicalities, I just want to point out that every solution to the climate crisis, which is the bigger elephant in the room here, under which COVID and everything else are basically think are offshoots. Every solution exists, every piece of technology and so on. And what we need to do is just activate them all at once. There's an area of economic thought, which is called donut economics or degrowth economics, which is really dialing down our consumption and our addiction to more, 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 right down to just what we need. And the modeling has been done and it's such an exciting area. I mean, economics does not excite me, but I hate money so much that I give away 80% of my income because it's bogs me down and it stops me from living the free life that my soul is calling me to right now. But degrowth economics is such an exciting area. And if you want to look it up, I think Kate Raworth does a great TEDx talk on it. If anybody wants to check that out after they've finished listening to this podcast. And there are all these solutions that Also, bring us together. We're going to have to go back to being collective, to reaching out to each other, which will then conquer that existential loneliness that we're also feeling. So, all the solutions intertwine and they actually deliver us to that human sense of connection, belonging, happiness, purpose, meaning that I think we're all seeking. But talking at a philosophical, spiritual woo woo level again, The other thing I would say, a lot of experts in this area are saying that what we have ahead of us, the task that we have ahead of us, is bigger than anything we've ever had to face as a human race. And we could balk at that. We could be all adolescent or childlike around it. Or, and this is the only option we really have if we choose this side of the fork in the road, we can step up into full adulthood. Lots of philosophers have talked about this, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's thinking that informs Star Wars and pretty much every storyline, every epic throughout history, right, is this hero's journey of going out into the world, facing what seems like an insurmountable challenge and coming back and actually joining humanity again as an adult or, you know, hero or warrior, whatever you want to call it so I actually see the process that we have before us as the ultimate stepping up into our full adulthood. It's our full actualization. It's almost like several hundred thousand years of human evolution is leading us to a point. Where have we been heading all that time? Have we been heading all of this way to sit there on Twitter and Snapchat and watch the world go down is that the sum of our experience? I don't believe so. I think it's in our DNA. We are the product of ancestors who have fought and conquered their anxiety and gone out to the edge of their experience. And people went over the hill that was scary and they were fearful of what was over there. But the dude who did, he came back and went, hey, these people over there have invented this thing called the wheel. Let's kind of copy it. We are the sum total of all of those heroic genes because they're the ones that lived. They're the ones that procreated. And so what we have now is an opportunity to step up and actually use everything that we've been moving towards. And what we've been moving towards is full adulthood. That is the definition of adulthood, is when we stop blaming, stop thinking that somebody else is going to fix things, which is what we do as teenagers. And I say this all the time. We are in a suspended state of adolescence waiting for the moment where we're going to step into this grown-up experience. All right, so if we actually do save this one wild and precious life and we come out the other end, how proud are we going to be to be human? To be human is going to be the most awesomely, audacious, bodacious, experience, we are going to be so proud of ourselves. And that's what I kind of try to point out to people is that's what we need to be aiming for within ourselves and also as a species to step up into the thing that we crave to be. It is in our DNA to grow up, to actually become that human. And we've been teetering on the edges for so long and we let ourselves down and Capitalism or neoliberalism has dragged us back a long, long way. But I think sometimes, and I think Eckhart Tolle describes this, as sometimes the bow needs to be pulled back so that when it's released, the collective fire in our belly will ensure that we shoot to our target and get there. And so that's how I sort of see it. I think our disgust around our individualism, COVID did that. We were all sitting in lockdown. We turn around and we look at our big, black, shiny SUV sitting in the driveway symbols of gluttony and greed and try to keep up with some kind of Jones out there, we kind of look at it and go, "Mm, yeah, that's not what we're meant to be doing on this planet. That's not the point of existence. And I think COVID got us to pause for a little and to go, all right, what is all of this about? Who do we want to be? And that was the pulling back of the arrow. So I don't know if I've answered your question. I've answered it sort of in a roundabout way. But what I think sits on the other side is, you know, who we're meant to be, we will arrive back at ourselves, at who we are meant to be as humans.
0: I absolutely love that. And yeah, you definitely did answer the question, which is just, you know, on the other side, you see this, and I would agree to this, we sit on this possibility of seeing the greatest kind of potential with us all working together to be able to actually overcome these challenges. And through the overcoming of those challenges, you have that unification that comes through that shared challenge. Which at this point, you lay out more steps within your book to get people to kind of embrace what are the micro steps that can be done on an individual level that leads to kind of a macro movement that combines everything into making this transformation happen. I maybe wanted to touch on one of them that I think is something that for anybody listening who's listening to this saying, yes, I want to be a part of the solution. I don't want to be a part of the problem. We've already talked about first reconnecting with nature. That gives us a resync and a retuning, but you speak a lot about practicing wild activism and I know you've done a lot of philanthropy yourself and you preach for people to be able to be more active and you know even as we look at the political system, a lot of us have kind of lost faith in the political system. We feel more disconnected or alienated from it. Is this a great recommendation? Should we be looking to re-engage and try to reopen these conversations with these institutions that are supposed to be in space to be able to support the kind of decisions that should support the collective at this point? And what are some of the things that are actions we can take in this moment after listening to this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So look, it's almost like I take what I learned from the hopelessness I felt when I was trying to work out how to get less sugar into everyone's diets. I had to end up concluding, no one's going to come and save us. The sugar industry is in lockstep with the governments. The governments in the US, in most Western nations, have received a lot of funding from the sugar industry and they're not going to suddenly impose sugar taxes and wipe out 50% of sugar. It's just not going to happen. And so I used to say, well, do it yourself. Don't wait any longer. Life's short. You can actually just start eating differently yourself and it's a little bit of a battle, but it's a good one. It's a noble one. It's a great one for you and your family to go through. It's very much like that with the climate crisis and everything else, the fragmentation that's going on. Equally, your government, my government, Canadian governments, they all have the fossil fuel industry in their pockets. And that's been dictating so much of the ignorance, the acedia, the helplessness, the wrongness. So... Yes, I think that there's several prongs, but it's shifted even in the last year or two as to what my thinking is. Most of the hopeful progression that's happening at the moment is happening with industry. Now, of course, recently we've seen governments really get serious and get online with what their responsibilities are. And we've got COP26 happening in Glasgow at the end of the year, which I think will really start to dial things up. But a lot of why governments have started to act is because industry has been acting. And why does industry act? Oh, because shareholders and consumers demand it. And so guess what? We have the power. So there's several ways that we can do it. Protest works. And I've never been a big protester. I'm a bit of an introvert. I don't love that kind of thing, but I looked into the research on it. And Erica Chenoweth, if you want to look up her work, she studied some almost a century worth of peaceful activist protest movements throughout history. She studied every single one of them. And what she found is that when a movement gets 3.5% of any given population, either of a town or of a school of a globe, then that change comes about. So she studied them all, you only need 3.5%, which is not a hell of a lot. And then what happens is that this exponential kind of movement happens and the change happens very, very quickly. So a protest can actually bring about that change. I think those student protests at the end of 2019 those worldwide protests, I think they got not quite 3.5% in some nations they did, but it was, I think, nudging up to 2% of various nations and towns, but also globally, people took note. And then, of course, the economics start to shift when consumers start to move their dollars and it gathers critical momentum. So, industry is doing a lot divestment is happening. A lot of companies are committing to zero net emissions in this country by 2035. And they're dialing it back even closer and closer, which is awesome. Now, we've got a federal government who isn't doing that. And it's extremely frustrating. But what do you know, they're starting to take notice. And they're starting to move in that direction. Unfortunately, our leaders have become followers in that respect. But who cares? Let's just take them on the journey. So, I get excited by that, and I think that that's another fix for the overwhelm that people feel. I have this phrase what is one takeaway coffee cup going to do? Said 1 billion people. In this country, 2.7 million coffee cups get thrown into landfill every single day, every single day, and we're a population of what, 23, 24 million. So, globally, it's all those little things do make a difference. The other thing I would say is change begets change, if we see an action begets action, if we see other people engaging in action, we then are motivated to do the same. And then we're likely to motivate a good half dozen, dozen people to do the same. So don't forget that your visible action will inspire and bring comfort to other people, and that's how the momentum grows. You might not see it directly, but every person that sees you walking down the street with a non-disposable coffee cup, they're going to see that, and it's actually going to trigger something, some normalcy, and that is how that 3.5% figure grows into 100%. So that is how it happens, and I didn't believe it at first, but then I went into the science and the studies on it, and I went, you know what, this shit works. It works. And my mantra is to make this way of living, this activist, engaged, caring, fired up, kamikaze way of living, more charming than the status quo. The status quo is that dude sitting on the couch with the remote watching Netflix, ordering Uber Eats and opining through Twitter. And I kind of hope that the way that I live, which is engaging in nature, doing everything I can to help, being fired up, having unlimited energy for this cause, I'm hoping that that looks a little bit better than the dude Mm -hmm. on the couch.
0: Definitely more inspiring. And I think for people listening, especially to this type of podcast, looking to be superhumans themselves, I think this actually gives you that direction to run into, which is get more informed, support the causes, you know, you want to make a change, do the minimum, there's things you can do and then see, hey, I might be able to do a little bit more, a little bit more. And realizing that as a collective, we become pretty powerful, as you said. And I can just think of things such as how this reduction in plastic bags have happened, or even these plastic straws have been creating a movement. And these have just been little wins along the way that make us realize, hey, industry does respond. I myself is someone that really does appreciate the free market. And I love the fact that they are the most responsive entities to create a response to our needs. So as we become more conscious consumers, as Alicia says on the call, we get to vote with our dollars, but we also get to be taking massive actions and we can access information on the causes, the events that are happening, and we can play a part so we can be part of this team that's actually shifting the world into a much better place as you expect it to become as we all take our part in making this happen. Sarah? Thank you so much for your time and for the message you bring forward. For those of you who are tuning in, these are just some of the ideas. There's many more to be unfolded when you pick up a copy of this one wild and precious life, the path back to connection in a fractured world. If this inspires you, if you've been feeling like you want to take more action, this would be a powerful one. Grab a copy of this book. You're going to learn more about how to reconnect as well with your soul, how to get back into your spiritual practices that also lets you be reconnected and so much more to ensure that you can be a part of this solution, which you'll naturally realize that also helps you with your personal issues, possibly these anxiety issues that you're dealing with. You're going to realize that when you're committed to a greater future and you're paying a part to be in this solution, you're going to be motivated, filled with energy. And Hopefully, you've noticed from Sarah herself how you can be inspired and filled with energy as you take action every single day. Sarah, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was incredible.
1: I loved it. Thank you.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't signed up already, be sure to check out Mind Valley membership. Besides getting unlimited access to our top-rated programs and trainers, you'll also join an incredible supportive community on our new Connections app. This is basically a global campus where you find like-minded friends, mentors, and accountability partners from around the world online or get together at local meetups. If you want education that connects you with kindred spirits and transforms you from the inside out, join the tribe at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman today.